Welcome to Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. In this program, we want to encourage you in your Christian faith by showing how scientific evidence supports the Bible, particularly the Genesis account. The book of Genesis lays the foundation for all matters addressed in the rest of the Bible. The nature of God, His sovereignty in creation, man's purpose, sin, marriage, family, and why we need a Savior are all introduced and explained in Genesis. When we see that the first and most foundational book of the Bible can be trusted in all matters, including science, it builds confidence in the rest of the inspired Word all the way to Revelation. Today's episode features Dr. Henry Morris III, CEO of the Institute for Creation Research. Here's Dr. Morris. It is interesting to note how often the Bible insists that every word of the written text is absolutely accurate. On one occasion, Jesus was talking about the eternal nature of his word, and he said that even went to as far as the jots and the tittles, that's the way the King James translates the word, even the letters themselves were under God's authority. You don't really have to be a scholar to know that the Bible contains a whole lot of passages. Some have suggested there's at least 3,000 obvious references that insist on the precise trustworthiness of the words. The consistent message is that the writers were supernaturally influenced by God to such an extent that their words were given divine accuracy. Some may not believe the message, but you certainly can't deny that the message permeates the passages of Scripture. Let me give you a couple of examples. Do you remember the Ten Commandments? They were audibly delivered in such a way that all of the assembled nation of Israel heard the instructions. And then God wrote them on stone tables with his own finger. Some have said this is a place where the word was not just inspired, but inscribed as well. Moses insisted that none of the words were to be changed by adding to or taking from them in any way. David knew that the words he was writing were under the control of the Spirit of God. Jeremiah had a keen awareness in his heart and heard God speak directly to him. He was also told to reproduce and precisely record exactly what he heard. Isaiah received supernatural visit from God and knew that God was directly in control of the message that he was preaching. Even in the poetry, the poets were aware just as much as the common man and insisted that the words of God were be taken as absolutely pure. Jesus claimed to speak only what God the Father instructed him to say and that the words of God were eternal. Paul knew that he was given supernatural revelation And he also insisted on an equivalent standing with God's command. Wow, that's pretty significant. Jesus himself, of course, many, many times insists on the accuracy and the authority of the written words of Scripture, citing both the creation account and the incident of Jonah as actual history. It's intriguing to know that the Lord Jesus emphasized these little letters, the jots and the tittles, as being an eternally secure There's no doubt that in these terms they were referencing the two small letters in the alphabet, but why such a reference? Some textual scholars would argue that there's disagreement about the spelling of some of the words in the written record and that the different manuscripts vary significantly on certain passages. Was Jesus wrong? Was he merely accommodating himself to the ignorance of the day? Or was he stating an eternal fact 
that God's word could not be changed, that even the spelling was without change. Jesus made that statement in the early part of the famous Sermon on the Mount, having given the blessings that would follow those who embraced the message of God, reminding the listeners that they were to be salt and light in a decaying and dark world. Jesus built the rest of his matchless moral teaching on the eternal nature of the law and the prophets. His new covenant would not destroy what had been written, but would fulfill it. Those written records were not to be done away with, nor to be taken as muddy mutterings understood only by the uniquely qualified, but they were eternal foundations laid down with precise commandments from the mouth of God. Jesus, the one and only Son of God, had now come to fulfill the promises made so long ago. These writings could not be deconstructed. That's the academic term that's in vogue today. Jesus was extremely precise with his use of the written words of Scripture. Noteworthy that some Bible scholars strained to interpret the Bible words in spite of the emphasis that Jesus gave to the absolute authority. But after comparing himself, for instance, to the door that opened to eternal life and the good shepherd that would give his life for the sheep, Jesus made public the stunning announcement that he and the Father were one. Religious scholars of the day immediately pounced on him for his blasphemy and reached down for stones to execute him on the spot. Jesus' calm response was to quote from Psalm 82, a poem, a song, a song that Asaph had recorded in a statement from God who applied the same term, Elohim, to the sons of the Most High. And he equated his authority to identify himself with God the Father from a song, a, a hymn book in the Hebrew days of old. However you're inclined to understand the application that Jesus made with the song of Asaph, it's clearly obvious that he's citing that reference as proof of his claim to be equally to the Father in heaven. Now it's time for a short break. We'll hear more from Dr. Morris in a moment. Dinosaurs are fascinating creatures. Seeing their fossils inspires a sense of awe and wonder that sparks the imagination. We're learning more about them all the time, but many questions still remain. Are dinosaurs really millions of years old? Did they live at the same time as humans? How do they fit with the Bible? And why are they extinct today? The Institute for Creation Research addresses these questions and more in their full-color and easy-to-read book, Guide to Dinosaurs. Guide to Dinosaurs delves into the history of dinosaurs, fossil discoveries, dinosaur kinds, and what the Bible has to say about these mysterious creatures. It serves as a helpful resource for parents and kids alike. Order your copy of Guide to Dinosaurs from the Institute for Creation Research by calling 800-628-7640 or visiting icr.org. That's 800-628-7640 or visiting icr.org. Welcome back to Science, Scripture, and Salvation. Here's Dr. Morris. You know, it's very clear. Jesus insists that the written words are the words of God caused to be recorded, and that their meaning, their grammatical use, their tense, even their spelling is eternally correct and supernaturally accurate. Jesus, by his own use of the words of Scripture, 
teaches that every word is exactly the word that God wanted to use in any given passage penned by any specific writer. We're faced with opposite alternatives. Jesus is either an ignorant religious zealot, or worse yet, a conscious liar, or he is the Creator God, explaining to us how carefully he caused his word to be communicated. It's not possible to have it both ways. Any attempt to harmonize these conflicting ideas winds up in the trash can of foolish talk. Those who deny the deity of Jesus Christ do not waffle around with didactic sobstinacy. They just simply reject such obvious misconception. At least they're consistent in their belief and their logic. Sadly, it's only the Christian scholars who claim to believe in inerrancy and inspiration that somehow attempt to interpret the written words of God to fit the ideas of the atheist naturalist. No, God does not hide his revealed words. It just simply doesn't make sense. If the words of the Bible can be interpreted to mean whatever we want them to mean, then the words are meaningless. If God hides his revelation so that only the scholars can understand it, then God is both arrogant and deceitful. If it's necessary for any man or woman to know the linguistic nuance and the cultural setting of a given word before it can be properly understood, then God is uttering just bald-faced lies when he says things like, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, he told Moses in Deuteronomy 29. But the things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Psalm 18 As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He's a shield to all who trust him. Blessed is the one who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy, we're told in Revelation, and keep those things were written in it because the time is near. And that brings up the question, why would anyone want to interpret what God says? Why would anyone want to make the words say anything other than what they say? Men change the word of God's because they don't like what it says. The only answer to that question is that those who change them do so simply because they don't want to obey or hear or listen or believe. They'll interpret it to fit their own conclusions. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus concluded. When he was debating with the religious scholars of the day, he said to them, "'Why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition?' God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses his father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he doesn't need to honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God a no effect by your tradition. The next comment from Jesus is a pretty powerful one. Hypocrites, he calls them. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus exposed that cultural and religious tradition that the Jewish spiritual leaders were using to undermine and to nullify and to reject the words of God. He called them hypocrites. They were more interested in building a case for their interpretations than keeping the commandments of God. God does not look favorably on that attitude. Today, our non-Jewish, Christianized Western culture 
is more likely to be cheated by philosophy and basic principles of the world than mere religious and cultural traditions. Academic and subtle arguments sound good to the Western mind. Bulk of the arguments over the past hundred years or so have been centered around questioning what the Bible really says. We've shifted the authority from the words of Scripture to the thoughts of Scripture and moved off the pages of the written text to the dynamic translation or the literary framework. The seminaries and schools insist no longer on understanding these ideas. They want to interpret them to fit their own believable ideas. Thank you for joining us on Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. That's all the time we have for our program today, but we would love to connect with you through our website at icr.org. For over 45 years, ICR has equipped believers with evidence of the Bible's accuracy and authority by showing how science supports the Genesis creation account. Our scientists research the evidence for creation and communicate their findings through books, articles, DVD series, and conferences. Please visit our website at icr.org for more information about the latest scientific discoveries, to subscribe to our free magazine and devotional, and to locate our next creation conference at a venue near you. All of this and more at icr.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, subscribe to Science, Scripture, and Salvation on iTunes. Also, do us a favor and rate and review the show so that more listeners can find us. Thanks for listening, and God bless.